you know, just because we're in any kind of position of ministry or leadership, it doesn't mean that somehow we're just on, on the platform of holiness or betterness. Um, we're here because this is where God has placed us. I love what Paul says at the beginning of some of his letters. Paul, an apostle, according to the will of God. You know, what, you know an apostle, that, that's pretty amazing. Paul, have you written any books? Oh, just a couple little short ones. You know, they ended up in the Bible, but <laughs> that wasn't my decision. Um, you know, we, we're just all uh, wounded healers, and we're in this thing together, and we have to stay together in order to make it happen the way God wants it to happen. Uh, I especially appreciated your, your comment, Sarah, about running, running, you know, which way are you running? Running away from something, or you're running towards something? And, uh, you know, when you first said that, I didn't know exactly, I, I knew where you are going to go, but I wasn't really sure exactly where you are going to go, but, you know, how many of you are running from something? Uh, the Marines have been advertising, you know, where there's a problem, that's, we run toward that problem. And, um, and I, I don't know how many of you know <clears throat> our bass guitarist with his lovely dog and his even really lovely wife, I think she's here today, um, <clears throat> No, she's right here. I see that her hair is aglow a, a with a light behind her. Um, anyway, um, <clears throat> Joel, uh, jo- Joel is a wounded veteran. He, he was serving in the, in the Middle East. Maybe most of you know his story, but he, uh, he uh, was severely uh, wounded, injured in, a, in an, an explosion, an IED. And uh, he's on full-term disability, but he's up here every week. He's got a service dog, and we love this dog. Is the dog underneath here still? Where's the doggy? Is he over there? Where, where's the doggy? He's right there by you, huh? Okay. Anyway, he's, uh, <clears throat> he's here every week playing the bass, and he just loves God, and, and um, his lovely wife is c- committed to serving him and helping him. He's got to get a lot of treatment. And what do you do? You've got, you have to just you've got to run at the problem. You just can't run from it. But you can't just run at the problem on your own which is the point that Sarah was making. You have to run, run to the Lord. Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, one of the best known, uh, power, 11. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 11 is the, is, is the record of faith. All these fantastic people in the Old Testament, men and women, who were faithful. And they, because of their faith, God rewarded them. And, and some, they had just as much faith, but... It didn't work out the way they wanted it to, and, and yet they were still commended by God. And then it says in Hebrews 12, 1, uh, Therefore, because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these are all the people who have gone before us and have made the sacrifices and have done the things that we can't imagine people could ever do. Um, <clears throat> because we're surrounded by these people, let us run with perseverance the race that's set before us. So we're running, and then... And then I love this, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we've got to set aside the weight, the, the sin. I mean, this is an amazing verse. The sin, set aside the sin and the weight. I mean, there are, sin, there are sins that drag us down, but then they're just weights. They're things in life that drag us down. And, um, you know, we can, we can be consumed by our sins, but we can also be consumed by things that are not sins. We just, we're just not together, you know, and we've got things on our mind, and those things consume us, and they become more important to us than our relationship with Jesus. So you have to fix your eyes on Jesus, 
who is the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, I don't know why I'm, I'm saying some of this. Um, Sir, I, ca- I came in here today sort of just troubled. Um, I, I, I have a lot of stuff going on inside of me. I'm, I'm, I'm a funny, troubled soul. And um, I just want to tell you that, you know, some of the things that you said, and I know was really ministering to my wife too, some of the things that you said in the worship is just really beautiful. Uh, I've been talking about God's crazy, amazing plan, right? And last week we talked about cr- crazy, amazing power of prayer. I started out this series because I'm here to sort of help you through a transition. And um, uh, I'm not just sort of, but I'm, I'm here to do that. And I, I thought I would share some messages that would bring some strength and some focus. And I, the first thing I talked about in the new year was, who are you? And then the next week I talked about, I talked about what are you doing here? Is it an accident? Are you going to press forward? You know? Where are you going to go? What are you doing here in this moment? Esther is in a moment. And it's going to cost her. She, she imagines everything. And uh, she says, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to do the right thing. And I, I talked about the importance of relationships. And um, last week we talked about the amazing, crazy power of prayer. I talked, talked about the need that we have for each other. And then I talked about last week the need we have for God. And I thought I was done with the, the series, but I thought I'd throw in a bonus lesson. Do you see that in your notes here? It's a bonus lesson. Okay. God's crazy, amazing plan. You and all the amazing and crazy people in your life. How, how about that? How many of you have amazing, crazy people in your life? Let's pray. Not for them, but for us. Okay? <laughs> Heavenly Father, help us as we open your word today. Speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My love, my love the love of my wife, my, the love of my life, my wife, she loves to shop. Um, we were just in Denver this week with our daughter and her family, and she was at the store. And it's a beautiful mall not too far from where our daughter lives. And, uh, but my wife especially likes to shop at Ross. Uh, she's wearing a top today, and I said, is that new? This is, a, this is a regular conversation we have. Is that new? She said, well, it's the first time I've worn it. So she has stuff, and, you know, and all the stuff she has has tags until she wears it. And sometimes she wears it, and this tag is still on there because you know, never really know if it's going to work or if your friends are going to like it. And um, <laughs> What? I've, I've never in my life worn a suit with a tag, you know. I'm sorry, but this isn't going to work. You know, my friend, my friend, he just doesn't like it. Anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, anyway, I don't think a week goes by without her stopping at least uh, at Marshall's or one, one of the other Marshall's or Ross. Is there a week that goes by that you? There is a week. Okay, just one week. And I like to shop at Ross, actually. I've, I've, brought, I've brought home stuff, and then she doesn't like it. I take it back. And anyway, I, brought, I, I bought belts, shoes, shorts, shirts, and ties at unbelievable prices. And, uh, and darn, you know, I get, them, I get them home, put them on, and darn, right there, okay, on the cuff of my sleeve for everybody to see is a little black stain from what was probably a marking pen, you know. And uh, some inspector saw it and threw the shirt into the cell to Ross bin. Okay. <laughs> How many of you are fans of Ross? Anybody here? Fans? Oh, yes. All right. All right. All the people who are uh, losing their homes in 
in, Mar- in Maricopa and Santan Valley, right? Anyway, um, so in other words, when you buy stuff at Ross or Marshall's, you know, most of it will just be last year's styles, but a lot of it will be flawed. And, and I like this, uh, you know, let's look at that next. Slightly irregular. Okay, would you say that with me? Slightly irregular. Would you look at the person next to you and just say to them, slightly irregular. <laughs> Do you know where we're going with this? Huh? <laughs> slightly irregular. Sometimes they actually put little tags on, on, clothes like, on clothes like that, slightly irregular, right? You know? Or they have a slightly irregular rack. You know, those are... Those are, that's for the dysfunctional clothes. You know, every, all the other clothes are perfect, but there are dysfunctional clothes that go in a special rack that get a label. Everybody gets warned about those clothes before you buy them, okay? If you buy them, you need to know what you're getting, okay? Um, <laughs> the problem with people, though, is that no one, no one is slightly irregular, okay? Everybody is weird. You know, you can look at somebody and say, you know, I can say, Sarah is amazing. She just leads us into God's presence. And then other moments, I think, I think Sarah's kind of weird, you know. <laughs> I mean, you just, no matter who you're with, you know, you think for a moment, you think of a moment, uh, I wonder if this person is an alien. You know, <clears throat> I really do. I really think I believe in life on other planets and people show up here disguised as human beings. Okay, even people that you think are just perfect for you because you just don't know them, okay? Um, and there was a little uh, 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 play, it's a, you know, a little live theater production written by Joe uh, DiPietro and Jimmy Roberts, and, and it's about marriage. It's, uh, it's hilarious and it's heartbreaking and it's heartwarming and heartbreaking. And, and the title of this, we saw this a few years ago with some friends, it was called, I love you, you're perfect, now change. <laughs> John Ortberg, uh, one of the teaching pastors for many years at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, has written a best-selling book with an incredible title, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. There you go, see? Say it with me. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. All right. In his book, He writes that he once saw a magazine article entitled Totally Normal Women Who Stalk Their (laughs) Ex-Boyfriends. How many of you happen to see the Jack Nicholson, this has been around for a long time, Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt movie, As Good As It Gets. You ever see that? You know, it's about a growing relationship with Helen Hunt's character and the guy played, uh, or the guy, the character, uh, and the guy played... um, Helen Hunt's character and the guy played by Jack Nicholson, who is obsessive, compulsive, and terminally offensive. Doesn't, it's not hard for Jack Nicholson to be any of those things. Helen cries to her mother, I just want a normal boyfriend. To which her mother replies, everybody wants one of those. There's no such thing, dear. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to talk about how normal is a really bad word because nobody's normal. Okay. Um, look what John Ortberg says. These are incredible statements. Uh, you know, I, w- I hope somebody, uh, somebody sitting behind me today, she, she said, church has really been fun since you've been speaking here. And I said, I've ho- I hope you've learned something. 
you know, because I really want these messages to help you. They help me. In fact, sometimes it's tormenting to me to give these messages because the message is here and I'm still over here. And uh, I used to do multiple services at Word of Grace. One, one season I was doing, we were doing six services every weekend, one on Friday, two on Saturday, and three on Sunday morning. And I had to listen to the same sermon six times. My sermon. It really wore on me. Anyway, John Ortberg says this, when we enter relationships with the illusion that people are normal or should be, we resist the truth that they're not. We enter an endless attempt to fix them, control them, or pretend that they are what they're not. One of the great marks, listen to this, one of the great marks of maturity is to accept the fact that everybody comes how? As is. Okay, everybody comes as is. As is. And if you look that, uh, if you look that up in the dictionary, as is, it says, it is what it is. Okay, that's the meaning. It is what it is. She is who she is. He is who he is. Okay? Now, let's get biblical. Think of one... Um, think of one person in the Bible who was normal. Is anybody in the Bible normal? Can you think of any person in the Bible who's normal? Sometimes, I'm surprised nobody has said said it. Somebody said, Jesus, okay? He was so normal, they crucified him, okay? I mean, there was was nothing normal. He created all kinds of controversy in his life. Had nothing to do with sin. You know, it, just was, it was just really difficult for people. His disciples, the crowds, demon-possessed people, the Jewish religious community. Okay? What, is, what does normal mean? My brother, my brother Dave and I had a long conversation about this one time, about normal and how normal is such a, it's such a meaningless word. There is no such thing as normal. When we talk about people who are normal, okay, uh, what, does that mean they're, they're more like us? They... They're easier to get along with. We, we can control them. They're nice all the time. What does normal mean? Okay. Um, there is no such thing, and this note may, may be in your notes here, there is no such thing as a normal human being. But there are mature human beings. Okay. For example, I, I want to get back to, um, I want to get back to this whole idea of, of of running, Sarah, Sarah, sorry about running at something or running away from something, okay? Um, people who run at a problem or, or move forward or keep their eyes fixed on Jesus are not normal. They just have a perspective that's shaping them, okay? Someone who runs away is not abnormal. We would just say they're immature. They haven't really come to grips with the realities of life and how to deal with them, okay? So, um, There's no such thing as a normal human being, but there are mature human beings and immature human beings. If you you want to talk about uh, as is or flawed or slightly irregular, have children. And what, you know, what do you try to do when you raise your children? You try, to, you try to correct them, you try to fix them, you try to put boundaries around them, but you're never going to change their personality. 
but you somehow want them to, to live life in such a way that it's not all about them. You know, maybe we could say there are selfish people and there are unselfish people. And the selfish people are always the ones who are the most difficult to get along with. And unselfish people may have strong personalities, but they know how to sacrifice. They know how to give and take. They know how to work through issues. And my, bro- my brother and I were talking about this. My, my, brother's, my uh, sister-in-law, is a, she's a, a certified counselor. She's got a, her own practice. And she has a master's degree in psychology. And my brother and his wife have had a really interesting journey. Uh, they, they've had a serious crisis in their own marriage. To this day, none of us really knows exactly what the crisis was, but we can only guess. Uh, they've raised four children, two of their own. They adopted two children uh, from Russia. And those two children have been two of the most challenging, difficult relationships that they've had in their life. My brother would, would say, it, it was, it's absolutely the worst thing that's ever happened to us. And it's absolutely the best thing that's happened to us because it made them, uh, you know, it made them think more deeply about themselves, their relationship with God, their relationship with their other kids, their relationship with each other. Those two kids, in some ways, almost ended their marriage. But they discovered something. They, they went past all of the superficiality, all the illusions, and were able to enter into uh, a very special relationship. So you have two kids that were raised under normal circumstances, these two Russian kids that had been, been significantly already shaped. They were five, five and eight or four and we don't know exactly how old when they came here. They came from an orphanage. I asked Nicholas one time um, um, if he had, he had a great relationship with his grandfather. And I said, did you, you miss your grandfather? And, and he said, yes. And, he, and um, I said, would you like to go back to Russia and, and uh, visit your grandfather sometime? He, he said, I can't. He's dead. And I said, oh, man, oh, man, what happened? He said, my mother killed him. Okay, um, I mean, those are the kinds of things that they brought with them, fetal alcohol syndrome. And they, they, you could say they're really abnormal. You know, you have normal, abnormal. They're not abnormal. They're just severely wounded people. And they, neither one has fully, his sister Natasha now is married and she's doing pretty well. But they, they had all kinds of difficulty just coping with life and making the best of situations. You know, they couldn't deal with things. And so they dealt with them in ways that sometimes were criminal. So you've got to understand, there's no such thing as a normal... There aren't normal people and abnormal people. There are, there are functional people. That is a really good word. A functional person understands the, about the realities of life and, and lives their life in the context of those realities. That's maturity. That's what you're trying to teach your children. They can't just scream, throw themselves on the floor, yell and scream. Like we were with our grandchildren this last week, and it's, it's, it's volcanic sometimes. And so what do you, you're not trying to get them to change or not have any feelings. You know, you're not just trying to beat the bejeebras out of them, you know. You know, you, you, you want them somehow to learn how not to just live and think totally about themselves. How they have to adjust. It is what it is. And people are what they are. Now what are we going to do about it? 
I mean, I, I was in the ministry, you know, and, and a pastor of a big church, and I had 75 full-time staff people and another 50 part-time people. And there were people in my, in my they're all Christians, and, and, and they're all, <clears throat> you know, they're all dysfunctional. But some of them were mature. Some of them weren't. Some people, you know, they're in their 50s and 60s, and they've never grown up. They've never, they've never learned how to integrate with the issues and the challenges of life around them. Okay? So um, there are people who manage. So there's no such thing as a normal human being, but there are, there are mature human beings and immature human beings. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this. I don't have this verse in my notes here. But Paul talks about this. He ta- uh, first, the writer to the Hebrews, we don't know if it was Paul, he writes to them, he says, I, I want to give you meat, but you, you can't take meat. You're still on milk. Okay? Paul says to the Corinthians, there are divisions among you. And he says, as long as there are divisions, you are not spiritual. You are, un-, he calls them unspiritual, carnal, and he says to them, you're acting like children. Because you can't work through these differences. You're acting like children. Adults need to be examples to children. And what is the example that you're trying to present to your kids? That you're able to deal with things? You know, I don't want to put anybody in a bad spot when I say this, but, you know, it's very common. Uh, you know, so many people are divorced. They're in second families and, you know, blended families. And, you know, I, it, I don't want to make you feel bad by saying this, but it's so common for people to say, you know, it's better for the children not to see us fighting all the time. You know what's best for the children? To demonstrate to them how you resolve conflicts and how you accept one another in your profound differences. My, uh, my uncle was a Lutheran pastor and, and he had an affair with a woman in a church. And she had four or five children of her own. He had three children of his own. And they had one child. He got her pregnant while she was still married. And that's my, my cousin Lynette. And Lynette didn't know that my uncle was her father until she was like 17 or 18 years old. They didn't tell her who her father was. And then my uncle and, and uh, my, his second wife had, a, had another child. They had two children together. So they had, she had four, he had three, they had two together, all these kids. And the only, the only child who actually grew up with the mom and dad together is the youngest, David. He's married... To a, to a woman from Singapore who is a Hindu. <laughs> He's a Christian. She's a Hindu. And they're so different. But they're still together. Because the role model of his mother and father, they stay together. All the other kids, all the other kids, are divorced at least once. Most of them divorced twice. And, you know, it's not about dysfunction or incompatibility or irreconcilable differences. It's because in, America, in our American world, we are less and less able. You know, we're, we're, not cons- we're not Christians. We're consumers. We're less and less able to deal with real difficult life situations. So there's really only one. You can be an adult or you can be a child. And you can read 1 Corinthians. Paul talks, to, and we're going to quote some things from Corinthians. You read 1 Corinthians, they've got all kinds of problems. You know, there's, there's just upheaval in the church. There, uh, there are divisions about this, 
this leader and that leader. And, and Paul says to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as long as there are divisions among you, you are carnal, you are, you know, you are unspiritual, and you're acting like children. See? Paul wants them to mature. So immaturity doesn't get away, it doesn't go, it doesn't make problems go away. I mean, it, it just is, it is what it is. And I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, like Sarah so beautiful, beautifully was telling us. We're going to run toward God, and God is going to give us strength and grace and maturity to deal with whatever comes our way. See? Now, um, <clears throat> there are people who manage life because they accept the fact that few things in this life are normal. And there are people who are mad about life because they keep chasing the elusive normal. There are five lies about people in your life, okay? You're going to love these. Number one, the lie. People are normal and life should be fair. Okay? That's a lie. The truth. People are weird and the mercies of God are new every morning. Okay? For them and the people who are trying to love them every day. How many of you know this verse? The mercies of God are new every morning. How many of you have heard that? Come on, certainly you've heard that. Okay, and you know what you do? You selfishly take it for yourself because you know you're not normal. Okay? And so the mercies of God are new every morning. Well, guess what? The mercies of God in you are not just for you. They're also for others. So if God is Jesus is in you, then the mercies of God in you for others should be new every morning. It's a new day. We're going to start over. Yesterday was pretty bad. But, you know, I got mercy in me for you because Jesus is in my heart. Okay? Uh, so that's the truth. Um, why would the Bible tell us that? Because you aren't... Uh, why would the Bible tell us that, um, you know, the mercies of God are new every morning? Uh, because you aren't the way you're supposed to be because you're not normal. Sometimes you're weird. Sometimes you're sinful. And God, every day you wake up, God is smiling at you. His mercies are ready for you every morning, not just because of what you did yesterday, but because of what he knows you're going to do before the day's over. You know, and guess what? You're, what you aren't supposed to, uh, to be that way. Guess, guess what? You're, you're not supposed to be that way, but you are. People aren't supposed to be that way but they are. Christians aren't supposed to be that way, but they are. The church isn't supposed to be that way, but it is. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Maybe that's an ancient way to talk about marriage. Don't be surprised. If I knew then what I know now, I'd have never gotten into this. You know, don't be surprised. You know, maybe, uh, maybe this is God's ancient way of saying, for better or for worse, don't be surprised. Hope for the best, but prepare yourself for the worst. For better or for worst. Okay? Some of you actually said that when you got married. For better or for what? Worst. Okay? That's so encouraging, isn't it? For richer or for poorer. Plan to be well off, but don't be shocked if you're not. In sickness and in health, don't be surprised by anything until 
Death parts us. Stay realistic about life until the day you die. In other words, you better go into this marriage or this job or this church with your eyes wide open. You know, people say, oh, they're new in a church. Oh, this church is just wonderful. It's beautiful. It's perfect. And guess what? Because you came, you ruined it. It's not perfect anymore because you're not perfect. See? Okay. Okay. Uh, German theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote in his little book, Life Together, this is one of the most incredible statements about community and about relationships. He says, God will not permit us to live, even for a brief period, in a dream world. Only the kind of Christian fellowship, church, which faces disillusionment with all its happy and ugly aspects, that would be for better or for worse. Well, you know, I'm going to join, I'm going to be a part of this church if it's what I like, or if it makes me feel comfortable, or if I feel ministered to, okay? Um, For better or for worse, okay, only the Christian fellowship which faces disillusionment with all its happy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight. Marriage is only marriage after the honeymoon. With all of of the difficulties, the challenges, the times that we're forced to seek God, the irreconcilable differences that somehow we're able to live on top of because we love each other more than we dislike the things that bug us. The sooner, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the honeymoon is over, the better it is for both. And then I have this in the, in the notes here. I mean, I have this. Uh, community, um, if we could pop the next one up here. Okay. He who loves his dream, a community which cannot, uh, which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, a, relation, a relationship which insists upon keeping the illusion when the illusion should be shattered, loses forever the promise of Christian community because true love is about for better or for worse. And then this is the one that we've got up on the screen here. He who loves his, his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the Christian community. Or to say it another way, the one who loves his or her dream of what their marriage should be more than what their marriage is more than what their marriage is, becomes a destroyer of that marriage. I, I had a, uh, a gal come up to me. This was a number of years ago. I just had these, these life, special life moments. In our church, a woman came up to me in the lobby after the service. People were, hundreds of people are streaming in and out. She came up to me and said, um, would you pray for me and my husband? Um, and I said, what's the issue? I said, she, he's just struggling to be the spiritual leader in our home. That's a real common accusation concern. And, uh, and I said to him, I, I knew their story. He had become a Christian about five, you know, about five, four or five years before that at our church. And I said to her, I said, is it better now than it was five years ago? And she said, oh yes, it's so much better. And I said, the problem, uh, let, me, let me just help you in a, in a moment. The problem is not your husband. The problem is that you have expectations for him 
that are running about six to 12 months ahead of where he is. And you're going to spend the rest of your marriage frustrating each other, frustrating him and frustrating yourself. Okay. Um, someone wrote, expectations are the seeds of future resentments. You know, when you have an expectation, and you don't know what that expectation is until it's not met, then you're, then you're resentful. Every time you're resentful, if you're resentful about anything in anyone else's life, it's because you had an expectation for them that has not been fulfilled. And your resentment is a symptom of this, of this failed expectation. And Son of a gun, they're not what you thought they were. The question is, how are you going to respond as an adult or as a child? You know, children have all kinds of expectations. In fact, they change. They flitter from one moment to the next. And you can never really keep them happy. You try. You actually think you're going to help them, you know, be happy by making concessions and, you know, compromises and nothing makes them happy. There's only one thing that makes us happy, and we sang about it this morning. Let it go. And I've talked about that too, haven't I? Okay. So, um, you can, I don't know if that's in your notes. You should write that down. Expectations are the seeds of future resentments. <clears throat> now, this is number two, the lie. For, I'm not nearly as annoying as my wife my husband, my mother, my boss. The truth is, I need to see my own faults more clearly than I see the faults of others. No, I'm not talking about putting yourself down, telling yourself that others are better than you are. That would be right up there with playing the victim. Instead, maturity, maturity, not norm normalcy, but maturity is focusing your life energy on what's going on inside of you, not wasting your life energy on being frustrated and angry with other people or trying to get them to make your life happier or easier. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? Famous verse of scripture. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time, there's a plank in your own eye. My uncle said it this way. My uncle, who is no longer in the ministry because he had an affair with a woman in his church, he said everybody is standing in their own baloney. They're in a barrel standing in their own baloney. Some have baloney up to their ankles. Some have baloney up to their necks. But everybody has baloney in their barrel. The problem is, for, for whatever reason, you can't see your own baloney. You can only, you just are always looking in everybody else's barrel. You can see all their baloney. You can't see your own baloney. And this doesn't apply to anybody here, but the church that I used to pastor, man, was this a problem. Okay, so just to put all of you at ease, okay, this is, I'm just sort of getting some things off my chest about 25 years in another church. I know you people are really different. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> So John Ortberg says, every one of us pretends to be healthier and kinder than we really are. We engage in what we might call depravity management. <clears throat> I 
You know how hard it is to see yourself? As hard as it is to hear what your voice really sounds like. How many of you have heard your voice on a recording and you are, you are appalled? You know, we've heard that voice for years and we've learned how to live with it. Okay? And you're hearing it for the very first time. And, you know, we heard it for the first time and we could hardly deal with it. But, you know, we've gotten used to it after all these years. Okay, number three, the lie. There are people in my life who make me so upset, I have no control over what happens to me. The truth is, God will give me grace to live like Jesus around people who are acting like the devil. God's power is not for making the people around me more like Jesus. It's for making me more like Jesus. Can anyone say amen? Amen. I know this is painful. What does James say? Look at this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure than peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. You would call all those things mature, see? Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. That's a mature person, okay? What does the next verse say? What causes fights and quarrels among you? All those abnormal, dysfunctional people in my life that drive me crazy. Don't they come, what does James say, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? There's a story in the Old Testament about two brothers, Cain and Abel, and they didn't get along. And then they brought sacrifices to God. And God liked Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's. Now, you know, the the funny thing is that people have tried to figure out why God would have rejected Cain's. Well, you know, Abel was more of a, he was more more of a pure man, and, you know, his was a a sacrifice of of blood and meat, and Cain just brought grain. You know, there are all kinds of people who want to explain why God rejected the one and not the other. And even in the New Testament, there are some explanations. But if you just read the story of these two brothers in their moment of life, There's absolutely no explanation. God just says yes to Abel, and he says no to Cain. It's a story about the the amazing, crazy differences between us, among us in life. It's, it's It's an incredible biblical story about how unfair life is. Sometimes it even seems like God is unfair. And so... There's no explanation. God says yes to Abel. He says no to Cain. You have more than one child? Have you ever said yes to one child? They get a popsicle, and the other child is outside, and you say, don't tell your brother, and your brother comes running in and sees you eating a popsicle, and you you have a reason for not giving the other kid a popsicle, and what do you do? You say yes to one, you say no to another. This is just the way life is. Sometimes life says yes, Sometimes life says no. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes life sa- God says no. So, you know, what, what we do like Abel or like Cain, we have an, an immature, childish response. We believe that if we can get rid of the brother, then we'll be okay. Somehow there has to be justice and we've got to carry it out. And so God says, he says to, he says to Cain, God knows what's going on in Cain's life in his heart and he says 
God warns him. Sin is crouching at your door. In other words, Cain, God doesn't explain himself. He just says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Don't give into it. Immaturity is giving into it. Giving into the anger, the rage, the frustration, the disappointment, the, in, the injustice. It's giving into it. God doesn't explain. He just says, it's crouching at your door. Deal with it. And so, you know what Cain does? He goes out in the field and kills his brother. There are people in my life who make me so upset. I have no control over what happens to me. That sounds like Cain, doesn't it? The truth is that God will give me grace in sometimes the most difficult and unfair situations. Uh, Number four, the lie. The events and relationships of my life are random. The truth is, and you know this, nothing happens by accident. Everything happens for a purpose, and God is in control. The question is whether or not God is in control of you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. It says, but in fact, now God's writing to the Corinthians. They've got all kinds of divisions. They don't like each other. And Paul's telling them, you know, your children, if you can't get along, if you can't resolve these issues, you're acting like a bunch of children. And then, and, and then he uses the illustration of the body of Christ, the body you know, that we are members of the same body. The reason Paul is talking about this is he, he wants us to understand that we all fit in somewhere. The, the, the parts of our body that, <clears throat> that people can see, the private parts of our body that, you know, like the, the palm of your hand has different functions than the back of your hand. You know, and there, there are some parts that we have to treat in a special way. You know, our eyes are very sensitive. They're very important to us. They're very sensitive, so we've got to treat them sensitively. You know, we can't, we can't, you know, I've hit things with my fist, but when I'm really upset with things, like, I don't just take my glasses off and hit it with my eyeball because there are parts of my body that can take certain things and other parts of my body that can't take things, see? And so Paul wants us to understand that we're all members of the same body and we have different functions and there are differences. And Paul says this about all the people in your life. He says, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So there's no relationship in your life. That's just an accident. God doesn't sit in heaven and say, wow, that person just came into my, 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 my... my good son's life, and I didn't even know this was coming. You know, God doesn't do that. Um, so how many of you have been married at least once? I won't ask twice, three, four times. Okay, how many of you have been married at least once? All right. And, you know, yesterday was Valentine's Day, and so, you know, you fell in love, and you're at a really nice restaurant, and you offer her the ring across the table. You know, it's candlelight. And you've just had a wonderful dinner and maybe a couple glasses of, of wine and you're just feeling really romantic and you give her the ring and she says, yes. And as she says, yes, you didn't realize that you, you're actually, your table is next to a, a big curtain like this and, and the curtain opens and it's her whole family clapping. You want her, you get her whole family. You get her mother 
you get her drunk brother, you get her, you get her, her, her nieces and nephews that are completely undisciplined and scratch your car, you know. You, you don't know what you get. Or you say, I want to have a child. You have children. You can decide to have a child. You cannot decide what the child's going to be. See? Screaming in church. Perfect. Okay? If I'd have known what I know now, I would never have had this kid. You know? You, you know, you have to understand that God has arranged things. If you don't have this, if you're not running toward God like Sarah encouraged us, and understand that God's in control, and God's going to help you no matter what happens, okay, you're just going to want to kill yourself. Or somebody else, like your brother Abel. Listen, there are only two kinds of people in your world, okay? Okay, there are two kinds of people. Number one, people in my family, and number two, people not in my family. And all these people fall into two simple categories, and I think there's a place for you to take note there. Is that in your notes there? All these people fall into two simple categories. Number one, people I like, and number two, people I don't like. Okay? Having people in your life you don't like and or who don't like you is common. A very godly, Jesus-like response to those people is uncommon. Love is uncommon. Love isn't just some feeling of affection in your heart for someone who is likable. Love is what happens or doesn't happen every day in every relationship. Love is impossible to live out without the empowerment of God and the practice field of life. You can do it. You can love. You can do all things to Christ who gives you strength. That's what the Bible says. Um, uh, Kevin Gerald's written a book. He's a pastor up in Seattle. He's written a, a book that's called Forces That Form Your Future. And he's got a chapter called How to Live with Our God-Assigned Connections. I love this. Henry Nouwen says this. He says, community is the place where the person you least want to live with with, always lives. (laughs) Okay. And I I just need need to know, if you pray that person out of your life, God has a whole bunch of other people waiting in line to take that person's place. Okay, so number five, the lie. Have you ever heard people say, I don't need this in my life? What? So what you're saying is that God has no plan for your life and God can't deal with this? You know, when you say, I don't need this in my life, you're really rebuking God. Hello? Okay. Uh, You don't need that person in your life. The truth is, we absolutely need every person that's in our life, good and bad. And look at 1 Corinthians again, chapter 12, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, what? I don't need you. Now, understand, Paul is, he's got a problem with church people. And they're saying this, I don't need this in my life. My life would be better without this person in my life. It may be easier, but it won't be richer and deeper and more filled with God. And then he says the head cannot say to the feet, what? I don't need you. You know, we think we've achieved a high level of spiritual maturity if we come to accept one another. You know, you know I've, I've, I've learned to put up with that person. Praise the Lord. God's really helped me. Um, 
But what Paul is really saying is, we've reached a high level of maturity when we say, I need that. I couldn't be who I am if I didn't have that. I have uncommon love when I value every relationship in my life, good and bad. Furthermore, God knows that we need most the people that we think we need the least. Dorothy Day wrote, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I don't know how many, how many of you have heard of St. Uh, Teresa of Lisseau. Uh, she, uh, she didn't live to be much more than her mid-30s, and, and uh, she, she was in a convent, she was in a com- community, and she, her life message was the little way. And basically, it's about how somehow, somehow sometimes the big things that we face in life, they're easier to master than the daily annoyances of certain people that we know. And she had, she had this little way, and when she, so she was just really went out of her way to be especially nice to the people that least deserved her to be especially nice. And when she died, uh, there was a, the most annoying woman in the community stood up at her funeral and said, Sister Teresa was my best friend. The most annoying person in the community said, St. Teresa was my best friend because she made every effort to give extra love to the person who least deserved the love. That sounds like God in you. Well, I want to end this with a thought from Gary Larson, The Far Side. Okay, so here's God. Okay, and uh, God, it says, and just to make things interesting, God's got birds, he's got... He's got medium-skinned people, light-skinned people, dark-skinned people, reptiles, trees. And so God's got the earth. He's making the world. And he's, he's going to add something here to the world. And let's see what's on that label. Jerks. Okay. <laughs> let's stand together. <laughs> so next time you meet a jerk, you just think to yourself, God gave this person to me. Heavenly Father, we're going to sing another song. Thank you, Lord, for just sort of uh, raking all the leaves out of our life this morning and reminding us that what it means to walk with you is so much more than we thought it was and has so much more potential and hope. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus.